Chapter Seven of Almayer's Folly by Joseph Conrad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crystal Treader. The bright sunshine of the clear, mistless morning after the stormy night flooded the main path of the settlement leading from the low shore of the Pantai branch of the river to the gate of Abdullah's compound. The path was deserted this morning. It stretched its dark yellow surface, hard beaten by the tramp of many bare feet between the clusters of palm trees, whose tall trunks barred it with strong black lines at irregular intervals, while the newly risen sun threw the shadows of their leafy heads far away over the roofs of the building lining the river, even over the river itself as it flowed swiftly and silently past the deserted houses for the houses were deserted too on the narrow strip of trodden grass intervening between their open doors and the road the morning fires smouldered untended sending thin fluted columns of smoke into the cool air and spreading the thinnest veil of mysterious blue haze over the sunlit solitude of the settlement almayer just out of his hammock gazed sleepily at the unwanted appearance of sambir wondering vaguely at the absence of life his own house was very quiet he could not hear his wife's voice nor the sound of nina's footsteps in the big room opening on the veranda which he called his sitting-room whenever in the company of white men he wished to assert his claims to the commonplace decencies of civilization nobody ever sat there there was nothing there to sit upon for mrs almayer in her savage moods when excited by the reminiscence of the piratical period of her life had torn off the curtains to make sarongs for the savage girls and had burnt the showy furniture piecemeal to cook the family rice but almayer was not thinking of his furniture now he was thinking of dain's return of dain's nocturnal interview with lakamba of its possible influence on his long matured plans now nearing the period of execution he was also uneasy at the non-appearance of Dian, who had promised him an early visit. The fellow had plenty of time to cross the river, he mused, and there was so much to be done today. The settling of details for the early start on the morrow, the launching of the boats, the thousand and one finishing touches. For the expedition must start complete. Nothing should be forgotten. Nothing should— the sense of unwanted solitude grew upon him suddenly, and in the unusual silence he caught himself longing even for the usually unwelcome sound of his wife's voice to break the oppressive stillness which seemed, to his frightened fancy, to pretend the advent of some new misfortune. "'What has happened?' he muttered, half aloud, as he shuffled in his imperfectly adjusted slippers towards the balustrade of the veranda. Is everybody asleep or dead? The settlement was alive and very much awake. It was awake ever since the early break of day, when Mama Banjur, in a fit of unheard-of energy, arose and, taking up his hatchet, stepped over the sleeping forms of his two wives and walked shivering to the water's edge to make sure that the new house he was building had not floated away during the night. The house was being built by the enterprising Mamat on a large raft, and he had securely moored it just inside the muddy point of land at the junction of the two branches of the Pantai, so as to be out of the way of drifting logs 
that would no doubt strand on the point during the freshet. Mahmat walked through the wet grass, saying burrow, and cursing softly to himself the hard necessities of active life that drove him from his warm couch into the cold of the morning. A glance showed him that his house was still there, and he congratulated himself on his foresight in hauling it out of harm's way, for the increasing light showed him in a confused rack of drift-logs, half-stranded on the muddy flat, interlocked into a shapeless raft by their branches, tossing to and fro and grinding together in the eddy caused by the meeting currents of the two branches of the river. Mama walked down to the water's edge to examine the rattan moorings of his house, just as the sun cleared the trees of the forest on the opposite shore. As he bent over the fastenings, he glanced again carelessly at the unquiet jumble of logs, and saw there something that caused him to drop his hatchet and stand up, shading his eyes with his hand from the rays of the rising sun. It was something red, and the logs rolled over it, at times closing round it, sometimes hiding it. It looked to him at first like a strip of red cloth. The next moment Mahmat had made it out and raised the great shout. "'Haya, there!' yelled Mahmat. "'There's a man amongst the logs!' He put the palms of his hand to his lips and shouted, enunciating distinctly, his face turned towards the settlement. "'There's a body of a man in the river! Come and see! A dead stranger!' The women of the nearest house were already outside kindling the fires and husking the morning rice. They took up the cry shrilly, and it travelled so from house to house, dying away in the distance. The men rushed out excited but silent, and ran towards the muddy point where the unconscious logs tossed and ground and bumped and rolled over the dead stranger with the stupid persistency of inanimate things. The women followed, neglecting their domestic duties, and disregarded the possibilities of domestic discontent, while groups of children brought up the rear, warbling joyously in the delight of unexpected excitement. Almayer called aloud for his wife and daughter, but receiving no response, stood listening intently. The murmur of the crowd reached him faintly, bringing with it the assurance of some unusual event. He glanced at the river just as he was going to leave the veranda, and checked himself at the sight of a small canoe crossing over from the Raja's landing-place. The solitary occupant, in whom Almayer soon recognized Babalatchi, effected the crossing a little below the house, and paddled up to the Lingard jetty in the dead water under the bank. Babalatchi clambered out slowly, and went on fastening his canoe with a fastidious care as if not in a hurry to meet Almayer, whom he saw looking at him from the veranda. This delay gave Almayer time to notice and greatly wonder at Babalatchi's official get-up. The statesman of Sambir was clad in a costume befitting his high rank. A loudly checkered sarong encircled his waist, and from its many folds peeped out the silver hilt of the kris that saw the light only on great festivals or during official receptions. Over the left shoulder and across the otherwise unclad breast of the aged diplomatist glistened a patent leather belt bearing a brass plate with the arms of Netherlands under the inscription, Sultan of Sambir. Babalatchi's head was covered by a red turban, whose fringed ends falling over the left cheek and shoulder gave his aged face a ludicrous expression of joyous recklessness. 
when the canoe was at last fastened to his satisfaction he straightened himself up shaking down the folds of his sarong and moved with long strides towards almayer's house swinging regularly his long ebony staff whose gold head ornamented with precious stones flashed in the morning sun almayer waved his hand to the right towards the point of land to him invisible but in full view from the jetty oh babalatchi oh he called out what is the matter there can you see babalatchi stopped and gazed intently at the crowd on the river bank and after a little while the astonished almayer saw him leave the path gather up his sarong in one hand and break into a trot through the grass towards the muddy point almayer now greatly interested ran down the steps of the veranda the murmur of men's voices and the shrill cries of women reached him quite distinctly now and as soon as he turned the corner of his house he could see the crowd on the low promontory swaying and pushing round some object of interest he could indistinctly hear babalatchi's voice then the crowd opened before the aged statesman and closed after him with an excited hum ending in a loud shout as almayer approached the throng a man ran out and rushed past him towards the settlement unheeding his call to stop and explain the cause of this excitement on the very outskirts of the crowd almayer found himself arrested by an unyielding mass of humanity regardless of his entreaties for a passage insensible to his gentle pushes as he tried to work his way through it towards the riverside in the midst of his gentle and slow progress he fancied suddenly he had heard his wife's voice in the thickest of the throng he could not mistake very well mrs almayer's high-pitched tones yet the words were too indistinct for him to understand their purport he paused in his endeavours to make a passage for himself intending to get some intelligence from those around him when a long and piercing shriek rent the air silencing the murmurs of the crowd and the voices of his informants for a moment almayer remained as if turned into stone with astonishment and horror for he was certain now that he had heard his wife wailing for the dead he remembered nina's unusual absence and maddened by his apprehensions as to her safety he pushed blindly and violently forward the crowd falling back with cries of surprise and pain before his frantic advance on the point of land in a little clear space lay the body of the stranger just hauled out from amongst the logs on one side stood babalatchi his chin resting on the head of his staff and his one eye gazing steadily at the shapeless mass of broken limbs torn flesh and blood-stained rags as almayer burst through the ring of horrified spectators mrs almayer threw her own head-veil over the upturned face of the drowned man and squatting by it with another mournful howl sent a shiver through the now silent crowd mamma dripping wet turned to almayer eager to tell his tale in the first moment of reaction from the anguish of his fear the sunshine seemed to waver before almayer's eyes and he listened to words spoken around him without comprehending their meaning when by a strong effort of will he regained the possession of his senses mamma was saying that is the way to end his sarong was caught in the broken branch and he hung with his head under water 
when i saw what it was i did not want it here i wanted it to get clear and drift away why should we bury a stranger in the midst of our houses for his ghost to frighten our women and children have we not enough ghosts about this place a murmur of approval interrupted him here mamma looked reproachfully at babalatchi but the tuan babalatchi ordered me to drag the body ashore he went on looking round at his audience but addressing himself only to almayer and i dragged him by the feet in through the mud i have dragged him although my heart longed to see him float down the river to strand perchance on bolangi's clearing may his father's grave be defiled there was subdued laughter at this for the enmity of mamat and bolangi was a matter of common notoriety and of undying interest to the inhabitants of sambir in the midst of that mirth mrs almayer wailed suddenly again allah what ails the woman exclaimed mamat angrily here i have touched this carcass which came from nobody knows where and have most likely defiled myself before eating rice by orders of tuan babalatchi i did this thing to please the white man are you pleased o tuan almayer and what will be my recompense tuan babalatchi said a recompense there will be and from you now consider i have been defiled and if not defiled i may be under the spell look at his anklets who ever heard of a corpse appearing during the night amongst the logs with gold anklets on its legs there is witchcraft there however added mamat after a reflective pause i will have the anklet if there is permission for i have a charm against the ghosts and am not afraid god is great a fresh outburst of noisy grief from mrs almayer checked the flow of mamat's eloquence almayer bewildered looked in turn at his wife at mamat at babalatchi and at last arrested his fancied gaze on the body lying on the mud with covered face in a grotesquely unnatural contortion of mangled and broken limbs one twisted and lacerated arm with white bones protruding in many places through the torn flesh stretched out the hand with outspread fingers nearly touching his foot do you know who this is he asked of babalatchi in a low voice babalatchi staring straight before him hardly moved his lips while mrs almayer's persistent lamentations drowned the whisper of his murmured reply intended only for almayer's ear it was fate look at your feet white man i can see a ring on those torn fingers which i know well saying this babalatchi stepped carelessly forward putting his foot as if accidentally on the hand of the corpse and pressing it into the soft mud he swung his staff menacingly towards the crowd which fell back a little go away he said sternly and send your women to their cooking fires which they ought to not have left to run after a dead stranger this is men's work here i take him now in the name of the rajah let no man remain here but tuan almayer's slaves now go the crowd reluctantly began to disperse the women went first dragging away the children that hung back with all their weight on the maternal hand the men strolled slowly after them in ever-forming and changing groups that gradually dissolved as they neared the settlement and every man regained his own house with steps quickened by the hungry anticipation of the morning rice 
only on the slight elevation where the land sloped down towards the muddy point of a few men either friends or enemies of mamat remained gazing curiously for some time longer at the small group standing around the body on the river bank i do not understand what you mean babalatchi said almayer what is the ring you are talking about whoever he is you have trodden on the poor fellow's hand right into the mud uncover his face he went on addressing mrs almayer who squatting by the head of the corpse rocked herself to and fro shaking from time to time her dishevelled grey locks and muttering mournfully hi exclaimed mamat who had lingered close by look tuan the logs came together so and here he pressed the palms of his hands together and his head must have been between them and now there is no face for you to look at there are his flesh and bones the nose and the lips and maybe his eyes but nobody could tell the one from the other it was written the day he was born that no man could look at him in death and be able to say this is my friend's face silence mamat enough said babalatchi and take thy eyes off his anklet thou eater of pig's flesh tuan almayer he went on lowering his voice have you seen dain this morning almayer opened his eyes wide and looked alarmed no he said quickly haven't you seen him is he not with the rajah i am waiting why does he not come babalatchi nodded his head sadly he is come tuan he left last night when the storm was great and the river spoke angrily the night was very black but he had within him a light that showed the way to your house as smooth as a narrow backwater and the many logs no bigger than wisps of dried grass therefore he went and now he lies here and babalatchi nodded his head towards the body how can you tell said almayer excitedly pushing his wife aside he snatched the cover off and looked at the formless mass of flesh hair and drying mud where the face of the drowned man should have been nobody can tell he added turning away with a shudder babalatchi was on his knees wiping the mud from the stiffened fingers of the outstretched hand he rose to his feet and flashed before almayer's eyes a gold ring set with a large green stone you know this well he said this never left dain's hand i had to tear the flesh now to get it off do you believe me now almayer raised his hands to his head and let them fall listlessly by his side in the utter abandonment of despair babalatchi looking at him curiously was astonished to see him smile a strange fancy had taken possession of almayer's brain distracted by this new misfortune it seemed to him that for many years he had been falling into a deep precipice day after day month after month year after year he had been falling 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 it was a smooth round black thing and the black walls had been rushing upwards with wearisome rapidity a great rush the noise of which he fancied he could hear yet and now with an awful shock he had reached the bottom and behold he was alive and whole and dain was dead with all his bones broken it struck him as funny a dead malay he had seen many dead malays without any emotion and now he felt inclined to weep but it was over the fate of a white man he knew a man that fell over a deep precipice and did not die 
he seemed somehow to himself to be standing on one side a little way off looking at a certain almayer who was in great trouble poor poor fellow why doesn't he cut his throat he wished to encourage him he was very anxious to see him lying dead over that other corpse why does he not die and end this suffering he groaned aloud unconsciously and started with affright at the sound of his own voice was he going mad terrified by the thought he turned away and ran towards his house repeating to himself i am not going mad of course not no 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 he tried to keep a firm hold of the idea not mad not mad he stumbled as he ran blindly up the steps repeating fast and ever faster those words wherein seemed to lie his salvation he saw nina standing there and wished to say something to her but could not remember what in his extreme anxiety not to forget that he was not going mad which he still kept repeating mentally as he ran round the table till he stumbled against one of the armchairs and dropped into it exhausted he sat staring widely at nina still assuring himself mentally of his own sanity and wondering why the girl shrank from him in open-eyed alarm what was the matter with her this was foolish he struck the table violently with his clenched fist and shouted hoarsely give me some gin run then while nina ran off he remained in the chair very still and quiet astonished at the noise he had made nina returned with a tumbler half filled with gin and found her father staring absently before him almayer felt very tired now as if he had come from a long journey he felt as if he had walked miles and miles that morning and now wanted to rest very much he took the tumbler with a shaking hand and as he drank his teeth chattered against the glass which he drained and set down heavily on the table he turned his eyes slowly towards nina standing beside him and said steadily now all is over nina he is dead and i may as well burn all my boats he felt very proud of being able to speak so calmly decidedly he was not going mad this certitude was very comforting and he went on talking about the finding of the body listening to his own voice complacently nina stood quietly her hand resting lightly on her father's shoulder her face unmoved but every line of her features the attitude of her whole body expressing the most keen and anxious attention and so dain is dead she said coldly when her father ceased speaking almayer's elaborately calm demeanour gave way in a moment to an outburst of violent indignation you stand there as if you were only half alive and talk to me he exclaimed angrily as if it was a matter of no importance yes he is dead do you understand dead what do you care you never cared you saw me struggle and work and strive unmoved and my suffering you could never see no never you have no heart and you have no mind or you would have understood that it was for you for your happiness i was working i wanted to be rich i wanted to get away from here i wanted to see white men bowing low before the power of your beauty and your wealth old as i am i wish to seek a strange land a civilization to which i am a stranger so as to find a new life in the contemplation of your high fortunes of your triumphs of your happiness 
for that i bore patiently the burden of work of disappointment of humiliation amongst these savages here and i had it all nearly in my grasp he looked at his daughter's attentive face and jumped to his feet upsetting the chair do you hear i had it all there so within reach of my hand he paused trying to keep down his rising anger and failed have you no feeling he went on have you lived without hope nina's silence exasperated him his voice rose although he tried to master his feelings are you content to live in this misery and die in this wretched hole say something nina have you no sympathy have you no word of comfort for me that i loved you so he waited for a while for an answer and receiving none shook his fist in his daughter's face i believe you are an idiot he yelled he looked round for the chair picked it up and sat down stiffly his anger was dead within him and he felt ashamed of his outburst yet relieved to think that now he had laid clear before his daughter the inner meaning of his life he thought so in perfect good faith deceived by the emotional estimate of his motives unable to see the crookedness of his ways the unreality of his aims the futility of his regrets and now his heart was filled only with a great tenderness and love for his daughter he wanted to see her miserable and to share with her his despair but he wanted it only as all weak natures long for a companionship in misfortune with beings innocent of its cause if she suffered herself she would understand and pity him but now she would not or could not find one word of comfort or love for him in his dire extremity the sense of his absolute loneliness came home to his heart with a force that made him shudder he swayed and fell forward with his face on the table his arms stretched out extended and rigid nina made a quick movement towards her father and stood looking at the grey head on the broad shoulders shaken convulsively by the violence of feelings that found relief at last in sobs and tears nina sighed deeply and moved away from the table her features lost the appearance of stony indifference that had exasperated her father into his outburst of anger and sorrow the expression of her face now unseen by her father underwent a rapid change she had listened to almayer's appeal for sympathy for one word of comfort apparently indifferent yet with her breast torn by conflicting impulses raised unexpectedly by events she had not foreseen or at least did not expect to happen so soon with her heart deeply moved by the sight of almayer's misery knowing it in her power to end it with a word longing to bring peace to that troubled heart she heard with terror the voice of her overpowering love commanding her to be silent and she submitted after a short and fierce struggle of her old self against the new principle of her life she wrapped herself up in absolute silence the only safeguard against some fatal admission she could not trust herself to make a sign to murmur a word for fear of saying too much and the very violence of the feelings that stirred the innermost recesses of her soul seemed to turn her person into a stone the dilated nostrils and the flashing eyes were the only signs of the storm raging within and those signs of his daughter's emotion almayer did not see for his sight was dimmed by self-pity by anger and by despair 
had almayer looked at his daughter as she leant over the front rail of the veranda he could have seen the expression of indifference give way to a look of pain and that again pass away leaving the glorious beauty of her face marred by deep-drawn lines of watchful anxiety the long grass in the neglected courtyard stood very straight before her eyes in the noonday heat from the river-bank there were voices and a shuffle of bare feet approaching the house babalatchi could be heard giving directions to almayer's men and mrs almayer's subdued wailing became audible as the small procession bearing the body of the drowned man and headed by that sorrowful matron turned the corner of the house babalatchi had taken the broken anklet off the man's leg and now held it in his hand as he moved by the side of the bearers while mamat lingered behind timidly in the hopes of the promised reward lay him there said babalatchi to almayer's men pointing to a pile of drying planks in the front of the veranda lay him there he was a he was a kaffir and the son of a dog and he was the white man's friend he drank with the white man's strong water he added with affecting horror that i have seen myself the men stretched out the broken limbs on two planks they had laid level while mrs almayer covered the body with a piece of white cotton cloth and after whispering for some time with babalatchi departed to her domestic duties almayer's men after laying down their burden dispersed themselves in the quest of shady spots wherein to idle the day away babalatchi was left alone by the corpse that laid rigid under the white cloth in the bright sunshine Nina came down the steps and joined Babalatchi, who put his hand to his forehead and squatted down with great deference. "'You have a bangle there,' said Nina, looking down on Babalatchi's upturned face and into his solitary eye. "'I have, Memputia,' returned the polite statesman. Then turning towards Mamat, he beckoned him closer, calling out, "'Come here!' Mamat approached with some hesitation. He avoided looking at Nina, but fixed his eyes on Babalatchi. "'Now listen,' said Babalatchi, sharply. "'The ring and the anklet you have seen, and you know they belong to Dain the traitor, and to no other. Dain returned last night in a canoe. He spoke with the Rajah, and in the middle of the night left to cross over to the white man's house. There was a great flood, and this morning you found him in the river.' "'By his feet I dragged him out,' muttered Mama under his breath. To Babalatchi, there will be a recompense, he exclaimed aloud. Babalatchi held up the gold bangle before Mamat's eyes. What I have told you, Mamat, is for all ears. What I give you now is for your eyes only. Take. Mamat took the bangle eagerly and hid it in the folds of his waistcloth. Am I a fool to show this thing in a house with three women in it? He growled. But I shall tell them about Dain the traitor and there will be talk enough. He turned and went away, increasing his pace as soon as he was outside Almayer's compound. Babalatchi looked after him till he disappeared behind the bushes. "'Have I done well, Memputia?' he asked, humbly addressing Nina. "'You have,' answered Nina. "'The ring you may keep yourself.' Babalatchi touched his lips and forehead and scrambled to his feet. He looked at Nina as if expecting her to say something more but Nina turned towards the house and went up the steps, motioning him away with her hand. 
Babalatchi picked up his staff and prepared to go. It was very warm and he did not care for the long pull to the Raja's house. Yet he must go and tell the Raja, tell of the event, of the change in his plans, of all his suspicions. He walked to the jetty and began casting off the rattan painter of his canoe. The broad expanse of the lower reach with its shimmering surface dotted by the black specks of the fishing canoes lay before his eyes. The fishermen seemed to be racing. Babalatchi paused in his work and looked on with sudden interest. The man in the foremost canoe, now within hail of the first houses of Sambir, laid in his paddle and stood up shouting, The boats! The boats! The man-of-war's boats are coming! They're here! In a moment the settlement was again alive with people rushing to the riverside. The men began to unfasten their boats, the women stood in groups looking towards the bend down the river. Above the trees lining the reach a slight puff of smoke appeared like a black stain on the brilliant blue of the cloudless sky. Babalatchi stood perplexed, the painter in his hand. He looked down the reach and then up towards Elmire's house and back again at the river as if undecided what to do. At last he made the canoe fast again hastily, and ran towards the house and up the steps of the veranda. "'Tuan! Tuan!' he called eagerly. "'The boats are coming! The man of war's boats! You had better get ready! The officers will come here, I know!' Almayer lifted his head slowly from the table, and looked at him stupidly. "'Memputia!' exclaimed Babalachi to Nina. "'Look at him!' He does not hear. You must take care, he added meaningly. Nina nodded to him with an uncertain smile, and was going to speak when a sharp report from the gun mounted in the bow of the steam launch that was just then coming into view arrested the words on her parted lips. The smile died out and was replaced by the old look of anxious attention. From the hills far away the echo came back like a long-drawn and mournful sigh as if the land had sent it in answer to the voice of its masters. End of chapter 7 Recording by Crystal Treader